26, verse 26 this morning. Matthew 26, 26. Matthew 26, 26. Baptist Global Response, when I was pastor at Second, we gave tens of thousands of dollars, literally, to Baptist Global Response. It is the Southern Baptist uh, arm to help provide relief for people. Uh, most people do not know that Southern Baptists are the second largest relief organization in North America. Only the Red Cross does more disaster relief than the Southern Baptists do because of all of our state uh, groups. In fact, one group, the Missouri group, was trained here yesterday. 230 people were here yesterday to be trained for disaster relief for Missouri Baptists. So only Red Cross has a larger number of disaster relief work than we do. And then Baptist Global Response basically is the international arm. So when you give your offerings, a part of it goes to them, and they use that um, overseas. We are so glad to be here. Ruthie and I are enjoying Riverview Baptist Church. We love to hear you sing. That's awesome. It is awesome. A lot of churches, you don't hear the people sing. You know, we've now moved in the, we've evolved into the presentation mode. Lights are down low. Presentation's up here, loud. Man, we love it. Lights are up. I used to didn't know if anybody was there unless they dropped something. I could hear them. You know, that's a joke. Anyway, so, so we can see you. Uh, you. You've loved us. We're so grateful to be here. You sing so well. Thank you, Zach and Katie, for the great job you do. It's wonderful. Well, today we're taking the Lord's Supper. And so the message will lead directly into the supper. And so let's, let's get started. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Sweet Ruthie, would you read for us, please? Thank you, baby. A covenant was an agreement. We would call it a contract. If we were going to use a modern term, it would be a contract. And in the contract, two people or two parties would make an agreement, and they would sit and sign. They would have their way of of making it legal. There'd be the one side, and then there'd be the other side. And that was called a covenant. Like I said, we would call it a, uh, a, a contract. Now, why in the world would God ever humble himself to sit down at a contract table with us, human beings? Why would God do that? God is so God, and we're so us. Why would God ever come and enter into a contract with us and live by rules that he forces on himself? And yet God does this from time to time. He did it with Noah. Remember, he made a covenant, a contract with Noah. He put a rainbow in the sky to promise that the world would never again be destroyed by a flood. And that promise has been kept. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham, who's the great picture of the resurrection because his loins were basically dead. And God did a resurrection in his loins. He had that child 
And from that child, the Lord said, look up in the night sky, Abraham, you see all those stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham walked by the seashore there. Do you see all that sand? That's how many descendants you're going to have. And then God entered into a covenant with the nation of Israel at Sinai. When the people said they would obey God, God said, all right, I will be your God. And he's kept his promise. There are many people who say that the greatest argument we have for the existence of God is the existence of the Jews. There's no other people that can trace 4,000 years DNA. 4,000 years DNA. Many apologists, people who defend the faith, say the existence of the Jews is the great evidence that God exists. Why do the Jews still exist? Because God made a contract. And he kept his word. Now, in our current text... Jesus is just announcing at the Last Supper that he's going to shed his blood to establish a new covenant, the ultimate covenant, the greatest covenant of all time. Now, let me give you the background for this. In the Old Testament, the word made or make a covenant is never used. In the Old Testament, you cut a covenant. Very interesting. Because whenever you made the agreement, you and the other person would get together and you would take animals and you would slice them into pieces. So you would cut literally cut a covenant. Now, you were doing two things when you cut the animals up. Number one, you're symbolizing this is worship unto the Lord. The offering of sacrifices was a symbol of worship and of the coming day when we would be saved by the blood of Jesus at the cross. So you're standing before God and saying, now, God, I'm going into this treaty. You're the big boss here. You're, you're the, the one who sees this. Now, you watch this decision, this treaty that we make. Now, the second reason that you cut the animals... You cut a covenant was because since you're making your promise to the Lord, you're saying to God, all right, now, if I break this promise, you do to me what I did to this animal. The shedding of the blood was very significant. And Jesus here at the Last Supper says, I'm going to shed my blood. To establish the ultimate covenant. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to make a deal. It's going to be worship to God. And God, if it doesn't work, I want you to destroy me. Very serious here. So, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's coming down to the final hours of his earthly ministry. And he wants to make a covenant. He's fully God. He's fully man. And he wants to make a covenant to where a certain agreement, a certain treaty will be made. And everybody will understand totally, fully, completely from that time on what all the rules are, what the ground rules are. So first of all, he's going to represent God. And so here he is. He's got the contract laid out. And he says, now here's the deal. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to pour it out. Now, Father, he says to his father, Dad, Dad, do you understand? That if I do this, that means that forevermore you will not require people to work to be saved. It will no longer be on the basis of merit. He said, now, Father, I know that I am paying a debt I do not owe. And I know they owe a debt they cannot pay. But if I shed my blood, Dad, do you agree that people can be saved 
by grace? The father said yes. Then the, the, the son had to question himself. You see, Jesus gave his life for you, not only in death, he gives it to you in life. See, the fact that Jesus saves you, that's not the end of his love for you. That's the beginning. He comes and lives in you and lives in you. So, so Jesus has to make a decision. If I shed my blood, am I sure I want to live with these people? You know, I, a lot of times in life, I, I feel like I know God loves me. The question is, does he like me? And so Jesus had to make a decision. He's asking himself, okay, if I shed my blood... And give my life and death, I shed this blood. Am I willing now to come and live with every one of these people who can be so dull and so backslidden and so rough? Am I willing to do that? And so he says to himself, yes, I am. So then he turns to the Holy Spirit. And he says, now, Holy Spirit, if I make this covenant with my own blood, are you willing to spend the rest of eternity, until eternity begins, are you ready to spend the rest of your time wooing people to enjoy my blood. Will you go find the lost and bring them? Will you go find people who are in sin and convict them? Do you promise, if I shed the blood, that you will spend your time going everywhere to bring people to appreciate the blood? And the Holy Spirit says, yes, I will. Now, th this is really significant. Uh, when you come to the life of Jesus... Jesus said he's going to spill out his blood. He's going to spill out God life. He is God. He's going to spill it out for us. And the Old Testament said the life of the flesh is in the blood. To the Hebrews, the blood was considered life. Notice, if you were a hunter, you went out and you killed an animal. You quickly slit its throat and get as much blood out as you can. Because... The blood means life, and life belongs to God. The animal does not belong to you. You can eat its meat, but you do not own its life. Life, all life, belongs to God. And so this becomes very significant in what Jesus did. Because Jesus in his life, the Bible says, he contained the Holy Spirit without measure. Jesus had an infinite supply of the Holy Spirit in his life. And so when he went to the cross and his blood poured out, he was releasing the Holy Spirit that had been given to him. It was in him. It was with him. It was his life. It was his dependence. And so here's the Spirit. So when he died, the Spirit was released. So to make sure we got the point, when the disciples get back together, what does Jesus do? He breathed on them. He breathed on them and in the same breath said, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was saying, I had an infinite supply of the Holy Spirit on me. I had it without measure. It was all mine. And now, because I've died and I've shed my life, now what I had fully, you can have fully. Covenant's laid out, and the Lord Jesus has talked to his dad, himself, and the Spirit. And so he says, all right, so may I do it this way, with my finger instead of my pen? With his lifeblood, he signed, Father, Son, Holy 
Spirit. But for there to be a contract, you've got to have two sides. So he said, not only that this is my blood that establishes the covenant. He then in the same sentence says, it is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ at the negotiating table now represents us. We've we, we got to come to the treaty too. And what he does for us is he gets us forgiveness. Here's the deal. Here's your part of the contract. God the Father says, grace. God the Son says, I will live with you. God the Holy Spirit says, I will live in you and come and help you and bring you to the fullness of the Spirit. All right? What's our part of the deal? Here's our part of the deal. Father, Son, Spirit. Every one of these people back here, none of them deserves to be saved. They're all sinners. They cannot be good enough. We know that. Here's the deal. If they will accept what you did, they will be saved. That's not much to add to the contract. All we're saying is we will receive. That's exactly what happened here. The covenant is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They provide. The only thing humans can do is receive. If you do not receive, you're not a part of the covenant. If you do not receive, you won't go to heaven when you die. You have to receive. That's your part of the covenant. So he stands as the mediator between God and humans. And he brings them both together. We do not deserve this. We know that. But God is faithful. We come to him with his own promise. We sit down and we say, Lord, we do not deserve this. But you said it. I accept it. Jesus, in the contract. Dealt with your sin and my sin. Every sin you've ever committed was put into the body of Jesus. It's punishment and it's wrath. None too vile. No sin too vile. Murder, adultery, lying, pride, envy, greed, unkindness. Now, if I were still pastor at second, I would take this finger and I'd start pointing to people I know. And I'd call them by name and I'd have them stand up. Bruce, stand up. I know your name. Stand up. Do you understand that your sins were put in the body of Jesus. Pastor Mike, do you stand up? Do you understand that your sins were put in the body of Jesus? All right. If I were second, I have about five or six more. We stand up. That's enough. The Bible says he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Peter said that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And so our part of the deal is all we have to do is come and appeal. We, we say, well, well, all we're going, we, we don't deserve this. If you will forgive us, we, we come under the blood. We know it satisfies you. It cleanses us. It's adequate. So we come. That's our part of the deal. You've got God giving everything. All we can do is receive it. But here's the ultimate question of this covenant. Where are you going to find blood Valuable enough to do this. No human could ever shed their own blood for themselves because we're sinners. There's no, there's no extra merit in this blood. So nobody can die for themselves or die for anybody else and gain merit in heaven because we're all sinners. So where are you going to find blood that's valuable enough to meet the demands of the Father 
and yet cover our sins. Well, if humans can't do it, then our only hope is the blood of God. Problem. God has no blood. The Bible is very clear. God is spirit. Therefore, for the debt to be paid, for the covenant to be made, God had to find a way to have a body that coursed with blood. He had to become human so that he could have blood in order to shed, to ratify the covenant. The scripture is very clear. It, it wasn't enough he just came and died. Had they hanged Jesus, had they hanged him, it would not be uh, salvation. Had he died in some other way other than shedding blood, it would not have worked. The Bible is very clear, 1 Peter 1, 19. He had to shed his precious blood. That's why he died the death he did. Crown of thorns, scourging, crucifixion nails, spear thrust. What's going on here? Why, why, why does every ounce of blood have to be poured out here? What is going on here? Ultimately, we don't understand. But, for some reason, God had created creatures who understood the value of blood. And since they understood the value of blood, His salvation would come to them with this extreme extravagance. There would be no doubt as to how much Father, Son, and Spirit loved them. You see, there's never been a time when you were not on the mind of God. I, 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 love, to, I love to talk about the perichoresis. You'll hear me talk about that a lot. The perichoresis, the old Latin word, dance around. It's the, for 1,700 years, Christians have used it to describe the relationship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They dance around each other. They live through and in and around each other. And the three are one. For me, in my understanding of the Trinity, it's easier to start with three and go to one than to start with one and go to three. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. It's easier to start with three. And then they love each other so much, they are one in their heart. Now, in that dance, in that perichoresis, there never was a moment six million years ago, ten million years ago, hundred million years ago, that you were not on the mind of God. God didn't wake up one day and say, I tell you what let's do. Let's do a blood atonement. No, there never was a time they hadn't thought about that. They didn't wake up one day after Adam sinned and said, oh, my, what a surprise. No, God wasn't surprised. He allowed creatures to rebel, taught them the value of blood, so that they would always understand how much God loved them. They didn't make the decision, as it were. They didn't think this up. This is just who they are. You make creatures that are about the worst you can get, and then you run past them and love them anyway. They don't understand it. They don't get it. That idea was always with God. Now, how do I know that? Because Jesus said in verse 28, His blood is shed. Don't miss that, folks. He's not dead yet. This is Thursday night. It's Monday, Thursday. This is Thursday night. He's not going to die till the next morning. But He said it is shed present tense. As if it's already done. He's reminding us that as far as He and the Father and the Spirit were concerned, that He died forever ago. When God makes a promise, it's as if it happens. That's why everybody has always been saved the exact same way. People in the Old Testament, 
Saved exactly the same way as people in the New Testament. That's why Paul can use Abraham as the example of what it means to be justified by faith. In the Old Testament, you sacrificed animals. But you looked. You knew there was more. You knew there was something else coming. People have always been saved by the blood of Jesus. Because the Father, Son, and Spirit knew it was going to happen. The Bible says He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before time began... The God-ordained method for forgiving sins was directly connected to the blood that Jesus would shed. Freely given, works immediately, forever effective in us. All right? Now, what do we get when we come to the table? All right. Now, God, you're giving, giving, giving. Father, you're giving grace. Jesus giving life. Spirit, you're giving yourself to bring us all in here. All right? When I come to the table... What do I get? Forgiveness. Jesus said he shed his blood for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now you get forgiven in two ways. Number one, the moment you are saved, you receive judicial forgiveness. That means that you are saved forever. Paul said there is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Once you become a Christ follower, you can never be lost again. That's judicial forgiveness. This is extremely important. We pastors, one of the most common questions that pastors are asked is, can a person who commits suicide go to heaven? And the answer is absolutely, yes. Because there's a way in which the moment you are saved, all of your sins are covered judicially. All of your sins are covered legally. It's done. It's finished. See, if, if you cannot be sure of your salvation here, how do you know that you can stay saved in heaven? The angels didn't make it in heaven. One third of the angels sinned in heaven and were cast out. See, if you can be secure when you're in heaven but not secure here, then your salvation is determined by a place rather than a person. Your salvation does not depend on where you are. It depends on you coming into a situation where blood has been shed. Father, Son, Spirit signed a contract with the blood of their own Son, and you come and sit down, and you take it, and you receive it, and you have judicial forgiveness. This is what Paul is dealing with in Romans 8. Uh, D.L. Moody, the great preacher, said he'd rather live in Romans 8 than any other place in the world. It's in Romans 8, right in the middle of the chapter, he says, Whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he also will glorify. Is that what it says? No. No, that's the way you read it, but that's not what it says. It says, whom he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he also glorified. That means, now glorified is when you go to heaven. That's when you get the the glory. We're glorified to go to heaven. Paul was saying, you're as good as in heaven already. As far as God's concerned in the contract, you're already glorified. You're saved. To me, it is the most significant past tense verb in the whole Bible. 
You're, you're, you're also, you are glorified. You're already there as far as God is concerned. So, first of all, you get judicial forgiveness. The moment you are saved, judicially all your sins are covered. Second, you get relational forgiveness. See, when we sin, see, I, I can never lose my salvation, but I sure can't get awfully far away from God. <laughs> and so when I sin... I've, I've got to get relational forgiveness. I want, I want to walk close to Him. I want to come back. And so as we come back and we say we're sorry, He cleanses us of our sin. And the reason He cleanses us from sin is to keep us from more sin. Because in that moment when we are forgiven, when the blood is applied to us and we say, I'm so sorry, in that moment when sin is repented of, when sin is being forsaken, now you have enough holiness. You're open to the Spirit of God moving in you to keep you holy. Now there's this great relationship between you and Him. And that goes on forever and ever and ever. As long as you live, always relational, relational, relational. Now, I'm going to illustrate this for you perfectly, and you're all going to go home understanding this. Ruthie and I have in a drawer at home a piece of paper that says that 47 years ago this Tuesday, we became husband and wife. It is our marriage license. Judicially, we are covered until one of us dies. Judicial. That's our judicial relationship. It is done. It is settled. But now in the 47 years since, we've had an idyllic relationship. There's never been a better marriage than mine and Ruthie's. We've loved each other from the day one. We've loved each other every day. It's like a honeymoon. God has blessed us through tragedies. Difficulties, hardships, never been anything between us. But we're like all other people. We have strains and we have disagreements and things. And so all through our years, we have worked hard to make sure that our relationship is good. See, we have the judicial thing in a drawer which says, this is settled. You're done. You're married. But then we spend our lives working on the relationship, trying to be as close as we can to each other. And that's the way it is in your relationship to God. When you were saved, you got a marriage license. You were married to Christ. When you got saved, you got the license, and you are His, and you are married. But all of your life, you spend trying to have the relationship, the closeness that you want to have with Jesus. I think that's enough for today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Would it not be remiss for me to preach this sermon and us not give people a chance to know Jesus? I I feel like I would sin against the Lord if I now walked out the door and, and said I was done. I'm not done. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came to the table. They came and they signed a contract through the blood of their own Son. They said they would give. They would do it by grace. They would come and bring you. They would convict you of sin. They made a deal. It's signed. It's a treaty. It's there. They're sitting at the table. Now, you have to come to the other side of the table and say, Okay, I receive it. That's it. You come and say, I am sorry. Forgive me. I receive. Now, there might be somebody here right now who wants to come to the table. They want want to believe, 
I'm going to lead you in a little prayer. It's a very simple prayer. The prayer does not save you. I'm always very careful about that. Words do not save us. We don't believe in abracadabra. But, but maybe this little prayer would kind of, you've you got all these thoughts running inside you. Man, everything's amok within you, and you're trying to get it, you're trying to pull it together. Maybe in this little prayer, you might be able to pull it together and you'd be saved because of what happens in your heart, not because of what you say. But if this prayer will help you say what you sense you need to say at the contract table, then why don't you pray silently as I pray that loud phrase by phrase. Here it is. Dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen. Now everyone, would you look at me? All eyes fastened on the pastor. Pastors will be here after the service is over. Ruthie and I are always at the door. We'll be there if you want. After people go through, if you want to.